Well, good evening, gentlemen. Oh, that was weak. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> okay. Listen, I want to, I, Pastor Gary this past Sunday was speaking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in, through, and for us. And um, how many of you really think it's really cool when the Holy Spirit works in you? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you think it's really cool when the Holy Spirit works for us? Pretty cool, huh? How about how many of you think, you know what's coming, you think it's really cool when the Holy Spirit works through us? Well, let me tell you what is really super cool, is when all three of those things happen at the same time. And when I see all that kind of thing happen, and that's exactly what you all have let me do this entire season. Because when I'm up here, this Holy Spirit, gets to, he works in me, he works for me, and he works through me. All at one time, and I can't tell you how much I have appreciated the opportunity to share what God's laid in my heart, and how you've stuck with this for the entire season, and all the awesome things that we've seen God do during this entire season. We're going to kind of close it out a bit tonight and try to lead to a point in this whole discussion about what is our next step. And as we do that, I want you to, I want, I'm just going to tell you a story. It was seventh grade, and it was the first day of school in seventh grade. I lived in Terre Haute, Indiana at the time, and, and um, it was a half day for the first day. And, and so we went to school and, and I came home. And then what we all did, my buddies and I, my little brother David, would, um, we'd, we'd go down and there was this old sand quarry that had been long since abandoned. And we'd go down there and we'd do what guys do. You know, we took our BB guns and our, and our slingshots and our pellet guns. And we went down there and we would just, we'd just play all day and then come home. It was back then when you could do those kinds of things as a kid. And back in Indiana, when you could actually do those things that probably still can in the Midwest. One day, as we were coming, on that day, we were coming home, and my brother had gone on ahead, and David was on the hill at the top, and I was down at the bottom of the quarry. If you can imagine, David would be here, I would be here. And in and, and the process of this, all of a sudden, as we're walking, I'm talking with my buddies, and we're walking towards the hill, I hear, look out! And I hit the ground and look up and the BB hits me right in the eye. My brother had a, one of those hunting slingshots and for some idiotic reason, he decided to try to shoot over my head. How he knew to tell me to look out is beyond me, but I did. Had he not said a word, it would have hit me in the knee. Wouldn't have been a problem at all. But since he said something, I, I ducked down, looked up, hit in the eye, and that resulted in a week in the hospital not knowing whether or not I would ever see out of that eye again. He was in a lot of trouble. And I have to tell you, I have been able to use that on him ever since. But I'm going to tell you something I don't want you ever to tell him. There was a doctor, as I was doing, looking, working on my eyes, who noticed there was a little hole in one of my eyes and asked how that happened, so I told him the story. He says, well, you need to thank your brother. I said, uh, no, no. Yeah, you need to thank your brother because of that little hole in your eye, you'll never have a glaucoma in that eye. Because that's exactly what they try to do when they try to fix that, that problem with your eye. So don't tell Dave, but I really owe him a debt of gratitude for that. <laughs> now, my brother David was not the only guy named David who used a sling. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find another David that was very adept at using a sling. The scene is this. We have a collision right now with, with the, the Israelite army on one side and the Philistine army on the other. And each army on, on, op on opposite sides of this valley were, were standing there with what we know as the kill zone, the kill box. This is where you go to die. 
You're over here, you're safe. You go over here, you're safe. This is where people die. But nobody was venturing into the kill zone except one guy. You know the story. His name was Goliath. He was a big dude. Goliath was huge. It depends on which manuscript you read. Um, he's, uh, he was either around seven foot tall, which is huge for that time, or he was as much as 10 foot tall. And I kind of lean towards the closer to the 10 foot tall side because the talk about his armor, how much it weighed. His spear alone was up to about 26 feet long. The tip of the spear, where the point, was as much as 20 pounds. You had to be a big dude to be able to pick that thing up and, and chuck it someplace. Goliath was, was huge. And what he would do every day is he'd come to the kill zone and he'd say, we don't have to fight. Just send me out your champion and I'll take your champion on. And you know what? If he kills me, then we'll be your servants. But you know, if I kill him, then you're going to be our servants. Israel is frozen on their hillside. They are frozen there and they're going nowhere until they meet David. He's a gatekeeper. He's a gatekeeper with one simple battle plan. Believe God, kill giants. To David it was as simple as that. Believe God, kill giants. Now, throughout this whole series of man-to-man, -man, we call it the gatekeeper edition. We've talked about what it means to be a gatekeeper. We've talked about the fact that if you're a gatekeeper, you have influence in, a, in an area. You have responsibility over an area. It could be your family, your marriage, your job. You could be a soccer coach. Whatever it is, you're a gatekeeper of that area. And as a man of God, someone who God is, is looking to, God has said, that is the area, that's the ground that you need to take and hold. But as we look around our society today and our culture today, guys, we are, to be honest, we all know that we've lost ground. We know that we've lost ground. And we've talked about how, that, how desperate that has become and how big that giant is. How are we ever going to get all that ground back? But as we've talked about this, as we've gone forward, we also have come to another conclusion. And this was pretty cool. Yeah, we've lost ground, but God's on the move. Some of you feel that stronger than others, but I tell you right now, what we all know in this church is that God is on the move, and he's going to move and take him back that ground through individual gates. He's going to do it through your marriage, through your family, through your job, through your hobby, through everything that you, that, where you have an opportunity to influence. That is where God wants to move. So we know that's what's going on. And we've been given the challenge that if God's on the move, the challenge is for us to move, to take back the ground we've lost. But the problem is, giants are in the way. We've come to this point of the season where I am very focused on making it very clear. It's time to remove the giants. It's time for us to stop talking about this move of God and begin to move. It's time for us to stop talking about how we're going to fix our families and our marriages or our jobs and our health, you name it, and begin to move. And to do that, we have a battle plan. It's the same as David's. Believe God, 
kill giants. So let's first of all look and see what believing God looks like. We find David's been sent by his father in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 to take some food to his three older brothers who are on the front. And he takes that food there. When he gets there, he begins to hear this, this taunting, this, this noise, and he runs to the front, to the lip of the hill here, and he looks over and he sees Goliath. And Goliath is taunting the Israelites. Come on, guys, come on down. You, you, know, you can do it, just send your best. I'll be gentle with him. He's taunting the Israelites. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Now, David saw the same thing everyone else saw. He saw the same giant. He saw the same army behind the giant. He heard the same taunts. But while they stood and froze, David was offended. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that's taking on God? Why aren't you doing something about this guy? Well, look how big he is. Who cares? He's defying God. And David's having this kind of a conversation with the guys around him when his oldest brother Eliab says, comes up and hears what he's saying. And he pulls him aside and says, who do you think you are? Go back and tend your little sheep, boy. Who do you think you are to come and tell us how to fight this war? That should sound familiar. And we've talked about that in our first man-to-man. -man. It's that voice we hear in our ears when we feel led to take a step for God, when we feel led to lead, when we feel led to say no when something's wrong, when we feel led to do those kinds of things, we hear this voice in our head that says, who do you think you are? Remember when you, and fill in the blanks. And you know what? And we do remember when we, and we fill in the blanks. And we remind ourselves of all the reasons we are not qualified we are not the right person because we have failed so much and the enemy has killed us before we even stepped into the kill zone. And Eliab says this to David, who do you think you are? The fact is, when God reminds you of who you are, it's going to remind others of who they are not, and they don't like it. They do not like it. In Australia, when I lived there, we had this thing called, a, they call it knock the tall poppy. And knocking the tall poppy was all about if somebody was just a little bit too uppity, they would try to bring him down a few notches. It was all about mediocrity. And all about who do you think you are. But we talked about in that first night that we do have a response to this. Because we have been set free to do God's good in our gates. Well, again, set free from sin, set free from guilt. We have been set free to do God's good in our gate. And that way, and because of that freedom in Christ, because Jesus paid the price, gentlemen, to free you from the sin and to free us all from that guilt. And because of that, our response is, who am I? I am the guy that's been saved by grace not works. I'm the guy that's a child of God. I'm the guy that's a joint heir with Jesus Christ himself. I'm the guy that, who God is for. Who do you think you are? That's our response when we hear that voice. David didn't fall for it. and We shouldn't either. David's response was, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I love that part. What did I do? 
Then the next phrase, is there not a cause? That's very telling. Is there not a cause? People will do incredible things for a cause they believe in. They'll risk things. They'll sacrifice. They'll give. They'll work. They'll die for a cause they believe in. And for David, that meant standing for God when God is despised. David was listening to the giant, despised God Almighty. And he says, that crosses the line. That's a cause I will die for. And the question I have for all of us here tonight is, do we not have a cause? Do we not tonight have a cause that's worth dying for? Do we not tonight have a cause that's worth risking for? Do we not have a cause that is worth sacrificing for? God's cause for this earth, it says that he came into this earth to save sinners. That was his priority. That is God's cause. Could our, should we not have the same cause? That everything that's within our gates, that it is our goal, is our cause to sacrifice, to risk, to even die if necessary. So that those within our gates, our families, our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, all of those we have influence with, every one of those can live. Are we willing to enter the kill zone? For the cause. Not everyone is. On the one hand, we see cowardice, and that cowardice was exemplified by King Saul himself. Now remember, King Saul, when we first meet him, when he's just Saul, about to be king, it was noted that he was very tall. He was one of the tallest men in all of Israel. And so you would think, here he is, he's the king, and he's very tall, and we got this really tall guy over here called Goliath. Maybe the king, who was very tall, should take on the tall guy. But we don't see that. King Saul is, is in his tent, and he's sending out bribes to his men. Whoever will do this, I'll give my daughter. Whoever will do this, because he's cowering in his tent. And the Israeli army is cowering on their hill because they're king. Israel was Saul's gate. He was the king. And when the king cowers, everyone else in the gate will too. Think about your gates. The examples that you set as you sit as, as the leader of your home, at your jobs, your businesses, in every gate where you have influence. What example are you leaving, gentlemen? Is it the kind of example that causes people to rise up and do the right thing? Or do they cower back because that's what you do? We see Saul cowering. <laughs> we see David, who once again, guys, he saw the same thing. He saw the same giant. He saw the same weapons. He saw the same arm. He saw the same situation. And this little kid walks in and goes, hey, we can do this. Come on, guys. We can do this. And he starts talking about this. And King Saul hears about this kid who says, we can do this. And he calls him over. And he says, why, why, why would you do this? And just like his brother, why, would you, why don't you just shut up? And David's answer was, you know what, king? When I was out taking care of my sheep and the bear showed up, I killed it because God was with me. And while I was out taking care of my sheep and the, li and the lions showed up, I killed it 
because God was with me. My God, David said, has always proved faithful, and he will be with me with that giant like he was with the lion and the bear. See, David had a track record with God in the kill zone. David had, a, had, had lived his life in such a way to where he had to rely on God and had seen God show up in the kill zone. To have a record with God like that, guys, you got to step in the kill zone. you got to get off the hill. And in so many ways, even tonight, some of you are going to go home tonight to, to marriages that you're afraid to be a husband that you should be because you're afraid of the kill zone. You're afraid of the price you have to pay to be that leader. We've got to get off the hill. And when you do that, it puts you that step of faith that puts you in a situation where you are now going to experience God. You take that step of faith based on God's promises. We have great promises. We have the promise in 1 Peter that says, We have been given everything that's necessary for us to win. Now, gentlemen, think about that. Think about any challenge you have in life right now. And God's word in 1 Peter tells us that you and I have been given everything we need to win, to overcome that giant in our life. Everything. And it goes on in 1 Peter 3 and 4, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It's talking about how that everything is called great and precious promises. You know, promises like the Holy Spirit, which is a big deal. Because this Holy Spirit that we have been promised that to come and live inside of us is the same power, the same Holy Spirit, the same one that had the power and did raise Jesus from the dead. Gentlemen, that's, that's beyond thermonuclear. That's the kind of potential that resides in each and every one of us if we'll put it to the test in the kill zone. We have that Holy Spirit. That's why it says we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. That's why it says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we can stand against the devil himself and win. And for those of you who might say, uh, you know that Holy Spirit talk, that was for then. I want to point you to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Gentlemen, it is the same today as it was then. The church has not changed. It wasn't the church of the old days and now the church of the new days. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and he has sent his powerful spirit so that we can win. Because of God's faithfulness to himself in his own word, to David the phrase victorious giants is as oxymoronic as jumbo shrimp, a little pregnant, original copy, and for those of us who use PCs, Microsoft works. I'm glad you got that. That was a little, a little bit shaky to give that one out, but if God is true, think about this gentlemen, if God is true, that we really are more than conquerors. Does it make sense that anything would take authority over him? Does it make sense that your body would take authority over God? Does it, take sense, does it make sense that your finances would take authority over God? 
Does it make sense that, 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 that your, the problems in your marriage would take authority over God? Does it make sense that, that your, your job and the problems there would take authority over God? Does it make sense that anything would take authority over God? It doesn't to me, and it didn't to David. It, it didn't to David. And that's why the first part of the battle plan was simply believe God. Now, what we're going to do right now, gentlemen, is we're going to take a 10-minute break. And during that break, I want you to stay where you are. We have people around each table to help you. We're going to walk through those pages we passed out. And for 10 minutes, I want you to consider in the context of believing God what it says in those things. And we'll get back in 10 minutes. David believed God. It's very obvious that that happened. You read the book of Psalms and, the, and, and how he re interacted with God. For David, this wasn't about a, a, a religion. It was about a relationship with God. And, and, and so he, he believed God. He put God to test in the kill zone, the lion, the bear, and now what's coming up is Goliath. But for David, it wasn't, he couldn't just believe God. He needed to act on that belief. And that's why his battle plan was twofold. Believe God, kill giants. And I want to talk about the second part of that battle plan right now. And gentlemen, as we do that, and we're going to lead into another breakout here, I'd like for you to be th begin to think, what is it in my life that's holding me back? It's holding me back in relationship with God. Now, if you felt like it's, you know, you and God are kind of going like this, it's not quite there sometimes, what is it in my life that might be part of that? So begin to think about that as we go forward. Because the fact is, giants exist today. And the purpose of giants, according to John chapter 10, says that they exist to kill and destroy. They're not friendly. They're not here to be our friends. They're here to kill and destroy. Gentlemen, they're at war with us, period. Giants are at war with us. And the way things work, pretty sure that if someone's at war with you, you'd better be at war with them, and you'd better be better at it than they are, or you're going down. And so David said, there's a cause. This giant is despising my God. He's at war with my God. I'm going to respond. But let's look at what giants are not, first of all. As I asked you earlier, just a few seconds ago, to begin to formulate in your mind the giants in your life that are holding you back, in a room this size, more than one or two of you probably thought of your wife. Just saying. Okay, there's a few guilty laughs out there, so I just proved my point. More than one or two of you thought maybe about your boss. Some of us thought about that neighbor, or some of us thought about maybe it's a health issue, or whatever it might be, but we have that thing in our, in our, in our mind of what the giants are. But let me tell you what they are not. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us they are not flesh and blood. These giants, their inspiration is not flesh and blood. The giants that we deal with, the ones that we have to deal with every day, it, they're worse than that. If, if it was just the person you could put a name to, if it was just the problem you can, dis, you can define, it'd be one thing. It'd be hard enough, right? But when it gets to the fact where it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, they are principalities, they are powers, 
They are rulers of the darkness of this age. They are spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's talking about the demon horde. That is what's behind what is trying to stop God. That is what is behind what's trying to despise God in your life. That's who we're up against. And gentlemen, you can expect them that when you step up to be a gatekeeper in your gate, that they are going to push back. They're either going to be like David's brother Eliab or King Saul, who are going to just try to talk David out of what he's doing and saying. Or they're going to be like Goliath, who are going to actually threaten you. In one way or another, you're going to hear from either one of those who do you think you are. They're going to try to stop you in your tracks. Those are the giants of our lives that are trying to stop us from doing and experiencing what God wants us to do and experience. And it takes courage. It takes courage. David did not cave to the arguments or to the threats because he knew two things. First thing David knew is he knew exactly what he was up against. He wasn't stupid. This wasn't some young punk who showed up and said, I'll cut you, I'll cut you. It didn't matter who, they are, who, the, who the enemy was. He knew exactly what he was up against. He saw the giant. He saw the javelin and the spear and the sword. He saw the armor bearer. He saw the, the coat of mail. He saw the helmet. He saw everything everyone else saw. He knew exactly what he was up against. And that's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we didn't know that too. It says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, gentlemen, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. We need to be serious about this and understand that those threats are real. That we, we have as a country and, and, and as a church in this nation have over and over become softened more and more and just inured to the to the dangers out there you know i remember when i was a young kid that you know a, a, a skirt that was shorter than this was was scandalous now that's changed a little bit right and we in this church have kind of gotten used to that there are things that we accept today that we wouldn't have accepted a year ago or 10 years ago because we're getting soft. God's calling us to be battle-hardened warriors in this kill zone. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because those giants, are, they're not going to give you any mercy. They're going to find a way in if you let them. So I'd like to suggest to someone that we all quit living as if there are no well-armed, strong giants out there. That we all quit living in this, in this fantasy world that says there, are, there is no force of evil. There is no, there are no, there is no devil. There, is no, there are no demons. There is none of that that's going on out there that we can't see. And setting ourselves up for, for a fall. That we, we learn to say that you know, they are out there. They are well-armed. They are strategic. They will find a way in if I don't stay on the top of my game. But just as important, guys, as it is to admit, to admit we have an enemy, is maybe we should stop quitting that when we, when we face the, 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 the kill zone, that we should stop living as if there's no God. 
When we see the trials and we see the, the troubles and we see the, the things that are coming at us, we see the giants, and what do we do? Oh no, we run and, run and hide. Gentlemen, we are child, children of God. We are sons of the Almighty God. We have Him living in us. We don't run from them, they run from us. We gotta start living like there's a God and we gotta take that ground back, gentlemen. That's why we're here. He knew exactly what he was up against. Second thing he knew, and this is cool, David knew exactly what the giant was up against. He says, you know, Goliath, I see the javelin, I see the spear, I see the sword, I see it all. And that's what you're coming at me with, that's all you got. Because I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm coming at you in the name of God. I'm coming at you with God behind me. The God that you defied is who I'm coming at you with. So you better bring your lunch, dude. David knew what the giant was up against. And gentlemen, think about it. Think about what you're facing in life that's keeping you from taking that next step and that next step. That's keeping you from moving forward for God. Think about what those things are. And you need to know, yeah, what you're up against. But gentlemen, also know what that thing is up against. It's up against Almighty God. And it can't stand. Nothing has authority over God. Perhaps it's time to stop focusing on what we're up against and start focusing on what the enemy's up against. Perhaps it's time to stop talking about, to God about our problems and start talking to our problems about God. Perhaps it's time we take that war footing where we're saying we're in charge, we have the power, and we're not letting you stop us. Gentlemen, our marriages are at stake, our families are at stake, our country is at stake, and it's only going to get turned around if every one of you and myself we stand right here, and we don't back down, and we can do that because of God. And that's why David went on the attack. And it didn't say that he, you know, he kind of inched into the, to the kill zone. It says there that he ran toward the battle. Now, I've got to picture this. Ten-foot-tall dude, about a five-foot-five boy. This, the boy has no armor on. He, Saul tried to give him his armor. It didn't fit. He has no, he's just, he's just the shepherd boy, and he's got this sling going. Picture what that looks like, and he's not inching towards the battle. He is anxious for the battle. He's excited for the battle. He's running for the battle. Like Paul said, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's the mindset of the believer that we're ready to take on the battles. We're ready to take on the giants. We're ready to say to God, God, if you're for me, they can't be against me. They can't stop your movement. They can't stop what you're trying to do, not if you're for me. The time for timidity has passed. It's time to take back that lost ground. But to do that, guys, we've got to engage the giants in the kill zone. The problem is that there's an objection to that. King Saul had this objection. Israelites had this objection. And that objection was, well, okay, over here, I'm, I'm safe. Down there, it's bad. 
Over there, you can see the army of the Philistines. It's even worse. And that was their, their objection to this thing. Why would we want to go down there? We're safe over here. In spite of that, David ran to the battle. Because he wasn't focused on the objection. He had an objective. See, David is having this conversation with Goliath. The Goliath sees this punk kid showing up, and he says, who do you think you are coming after me? I'm a battle-hardened warrior. I'm 10 feet tall. I got these cool weapons. What do you think you're going to do? And, and David says, oh, I'm going to cut off your head. You don't even have a sword. Oh, no, it's because I'm going to use yours. That's what's going to happen to you here in a few minutes. Why? So that. I love this in verse 46 of chapter 17. Why am I going to do this to you, Goliath? You defied my God. I'm going to come at you. I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to take your sword out. I'm going to cut off your head. Why? So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Gentlemen, you need to take on those giants so that all the earth will know there's a God in your family. So that all the earth will know there's a God in this church. All the earth will know there's a God at your job. You need to take on those giants because that is what is at stake. That all the earth will know that there is a God and that God loves them. That's why we're here, gentlemen. That's what our job is as gatekeepers. The objective here was to show the world that God was God. And that's exactly what happened. David ran towards the battle. He gets that sling going, chucks it off. It knocks the Goliath down. He runs over there. He picks up the sword. He cuts off his head, holds the head up. And, all, and you can imagine the scene. Here's the army of the Philistines. They're all over here. And they're watching. They're thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. Oh, they're looking at this thing going on in, in the giant. And all of a sudden, what? Well, he, threw the, he, he felt, what? And, he, and then they watched the head come off. What they just saw was a boy who said, in the name of God, to show you there is a God in Israel, here's what I'm going to do to you. And that boy, in the name of his God, did it to their giant. Think about that. They watched a boy kill their champion. And he, that boy said he did it in the power of God. Gentlemen, they believed him. Sometimes the unbelievers are going to believe more than we do, right? They believed that what had just happened was, a, was an evidence that, yes, there is a God in Israel. And that's what will happen is you stand and you take on those giants in your family and your jobs and everywhere else that you have a gate. If you will stand and you will stick with God, there will come a time when you will prevail and you'll be able to say, I prevailed because there's a God in my life. That is the whole idea. But yet when we shy away from that, what we do is say, there's no God in my life. Because, gentlemen, if there's a God in your life, he's God. And that God is going, <laughs> he's going to overcome. If there's no God in your life, you're going to lose. So which way are we acting? David said, I'm here because there's a God in my life. And here's what I'm going to do. The Philistines saw this, and it says, <laughs> they hightailed it out of there. They fled. They took off. And, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because that's what the enemy is always going to do. Hear me on this. The enemy doesn't want to mess with a God that empowers a loser to be a winner. The enemy does not want to mess with a God that empowers an adulterer 
to be faithful. The enemy does not want to mess with a God that empowers an addict to get clean. The enemy does not want to mess with a God that empowers those who were once conquered to become conquerors. The enemy does not want to mess with a God that's so big he turns giant fodder into giant killers. Gentlemen, that's our God. The enemy will not want to mess with us. In fact, what I tell the enemy every chance I get is, don't you dare, as I'm walking in tonight and praying over this building and praying over you before you got here, I'm telling this enemy, you mess with these guys, we're going to make you regret it. Because there's a God at the bridge, there's a God at this place, and our God is going to overcome. When faced with that kind of God, that enemy, those principalities and powers and all that they inspire, they're always going to run. And when they run, they give up ground. And when they give up ground, what do we do? We take it back. That's how we win. We push back the darkness. We take back the ground. In fact, it says that what happened is that the Israelites, they, you know, they're, they're all, wow, there, there must be a God around here. So they take off after what David did, and they take off after the Philistines who are hightailing it out of town, and they, and, they, and they kill them all, and then they come back and they plunder their, all the wealth out of their tents. And that is, that's what God does. He turns war into wealth. He turns the worst of circumstances into the best. He says all things can work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's what God does. It says when, when, the, when Israel was looking over here and saying it's, it's safe here, it's bad there, and it's worse over there, God's saying to us, no, our perspective is this. We start here. There might be a war down there, but gentlemen, the blessing's over there. Because that is what the giants are keeping us from. The giants in our marriage are keeping us from a blessed marriage. The giants in our job are keeping us from a blessed job. The giants in our health are keeping us from a blessed health. The giants in our lives are keeping us from the blessing. It was, was that many times we live our lives as if God is calling us to the kill zone. And that's short-sighted, gentlemen. He is not calling us to the kill zone. He is calling us through the kill zone. God knows that we can win, and he has the blessings waiting for us over here. And so while we're waiting around and fretting over here about this, we're missing out of this over here. And that's why I say to them, there is a cause. This is how Jesus' example was. Jesus himself, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about Jesus. It says that who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the kill zone, the cross. The joy that set before him was sitting back down at the right hand of God. And who for the joy, the joy that set before him was bringing many people with him. He was willing to go through all of that, all of this, to get to that. He wasn't going to the kill zone. He was going through the kill zone. And by the way, he went through on his own terms, and so can you. So can you. Because it says we are to imitate Christ. James chapter 1, count it all joy, gentlemen, when you face the kill zone, knowing that your trust in God's faithfulness will leave you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the question. Tonight and going forward, 
And at the end of this whole season of gatekeepers and man-to-man, what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on staying here? Are you going to focus in fear on the kill zone? Or are you going to focus here at the blessing? Because, you know, down there it might be some pain. But over there is the gain. Down here, it, it, it might get bad, but guys, this is where the blessing is over here. There might be giants down here. There will be giants down here. But it's God who calls you through them. Stop showing God how big our giants are. Start showing the giants how big God is. And what we're going to do now is the second breakout session. We have another 10 minutes here. What I'd like for you to do is have some more conversations about the second part of that page, and we'll come back in 10 minutes. Okay, guys. Well, I'm back. We'll have an opportunity after, the, after we're done here for you to possibly have some more discussion. But right now, it's time for us to do some spiritual business. This is the end of the, of the man-to-man season. Now, we're having our finale in May. The finale is going to be more focused on outreach, regional. Um, we're going to fill this place to overflowing um, and such. It is my hope and prayer that that happens because each and every one of you who've been to the man-to-man will, in fact, start taking on your gates and make a commitment to get those in your gates to the finale so they can hear what God has to say to them. So to do that tonight, I want to do some spiritual business. I'm going to be asking you to um, kind of let it hang out a bit as we think about our next steps. David's battle plan was simple because it is simple. Believe God, kill giants. Now, doing that is not necessarily simple because the giants are pretty sneaky. The giants, they're, they're going to find a way in one way or the other. They're going to do their best. They have a cause, and it's time that we took on our cause to believe God, kill giants, and allow the Spirit to work through us in us and for us to devastate and demolish them. I want to point out something. Here was the battle plan, believe God, kill giants. Two models, Saul in the tent, cowering, David on the battlefield, winning. I want you to take an honest assessment of yourself right now up to this point and say, who am I? Do I look more like Saul or do I look more like David? This is not a point of condemnation. Please hear me on that. The point of that question is just an honest assessment. Where are, where are we now? Because the beauty of Jesus Christ is that that makes no difference about where we will be if we trust him. But I want you to notice the challenge. One faithful gatekeeper, one, one kid, one young man, one faithful gatekeeper rallied the whole nation of Israel and destroyed an army. It just took one. My question is, which one are you? Who among us is that one? Who among us is that one who is going to believe God and take on the giants and rally the armies in our gates? Rally the armies that we have in our families and rout the enemy. What is it going to take for you to be that man? 
What's it going to take for you to be that man who simply says, I am committing tonight that I am from this point forward, I am going to go to the, into the kill zone and I'm going to believe God and I'm going to kill giants. What's it going to take for you to trust that God is who he says he is? That God actually has a, has a plan for your life and that plan for your life is victorious because he's God and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. What we're going to do here now Aaron's going to lead us in a song here in a second. And what we're going to do is, on that sheet, and many of you maybe didn't get that far in our last breakout, but I want you to right now, I want you to think about naming your giants. Think about those things that are keeping you from being that man. Those things that are keeping you from, 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 from rallying your gate to rout the army of Satan. And I'm going to ask you to step up. In a moment, we're going to stand. And for those of you who are willing to name your giants, and you don't have to tell us who they are, I don't even want to know. But for those of you who are willing to name those giants and are willing to say, I am ready to take on God. I am well, ready to believe him. I'm ready to start killing that giant. I'm going to ask you to come here to the kill zone. Come here to the kill zone, and our pastor is going to come and pray over you. He's going to pray over you that he, God will fill you with his spirit to work in, through, and for you to give you the power to overcome what maybe you have not been able to overcome your entire life. Now is the time. This is the place. Are you the people? Let's all stand. The Aaron will lead us in this song.
tonight we lift our eyes up to you, God, where our help comes from. We know that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. So we look to you. We don't look to those giants. We look to you. And we have no fear because you are with us. So we sing together. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Oh, we declare that tonight. We lift our eyes to you. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. Come on guys, let's sing that like we mean it. I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the together but I but I want you to do something with me okay 
All you guys who've come forward, I want you to move forward just as far as you can right here, okay? Jam in here, kind of close. There you go. Get right out here in the kill zone. Perfect. I want all the rest of the guys in this place, I want you to fight the battle with us tonight. I want everybody to gather in here just as tight as we can, okay? We're going to pray for these guys and pray for one another tonight. Let's give everybody a chance to get here. I want to share just a couple things real fast before we pray. Hey, did you enjoy that message? Doug, thank you. What, what do you do when a giant shows up in your life? You know, when David, when David faced Goliath, he was really going to visit his brothers. He was taking provisions, food to them. He gets there and here this giant is. It just showed up. Sometimes giants show up in our lives. What do you do when a giant shows up? You either kill him or you'll wind up serving him. One of two things. And I guarantee you, nobody ever intends for a giant to rule their lives. But you sleep with the giant long enough and eventually he'll take over your life. That's just the nature of giants. And tonight, I, I just have a real sense in my heart that God's just going to do some supernatural liberating here as we pray tonight. He's going to break the grip some giants have got in your life. You know, they, you played around with them too long. They got a hold in your life. God's going to break that tonight. God's going to break some things right here and right now. And I'm going to tell you something. It, it's scary jumping off that hill and running down to the kill zone. But there's no feeling like the feeling of running back to town carrying the giant's head in your hand. There's no feeling like it. No feeling like it. You're going to experience that tonight. Here's what I want to do. I want every man here, I want you to reach out and lay your hand on the shoulder of, the, of somebody right in front of you, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift our voices. I want you to pray for the guys in front of you. I'll lead in prayer, but I want us to pray right now that God will liberate men, that giants will be put in their place. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, all across the front of this building, there are men who've walked forward, young men, middle-aged men, who've come forward saying, I want to face the giant. I want to get out of this bondage. I want to put the enemy in this place. And God, right now, we're getting out of the safety zone. We're leaving the comfort of the safe hill. And we're running down to the valley to the kill zone. Because we are ready to take on that giant. And Father, right now, as men are naming the giants in their lives, as they're calling them out right now, Father, I ask you to give us the power, the ability, the authority to kill those giants, slay those giants, put those giants in their places now father you promise that we can be victorious you promise that we can be overcomers and we will not settle for anything less we're not playing games anymore we're not laying out on the fringes but we're getting in the battle right now and in this kill zone we take the name of the Lord and we command the giant to run now. We take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and we speak to that giant and we slay him and we command him to leave our lives and be around no more. Father, we break the chains of habit and bondage and wrong thinking that have ruled our lives. We break those chains tonight and we take authority over these giants and we slay them. We get them out of our lives in the name of Jesus. We will not live in bondage anymore we're claiming our victory that you promised us we're taking it we're going to walk it out by faith and we thank you father now the giants are dead the giants are gone we have the power to walk out right over them and 
cut off their heads and run back to town with their heads in our hands. And we praise you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now lift your voice and give God praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sing, oh my God, oh my God. We say, oh my God. I love you guys. I mean, you guys are the best. You're amazing. Doug, thank you so much. That was great tonight. Great message. Great message.